I don't know if y'all saw the uh, um, Buskin Bakery cookies. You know, every year they, ha- or every four years, they have cookies that represent the major candidates. And even as Pastor Dennis was saying, even Buskin is, is catching on that folks, a lot of folks just aren't satisfied with the two choices, so they've added a third, the cookie party. It's the cookie party. And, uh, and right now, the cookie party is winning. And uh, they're... You know, and, and that may capture that sense of, and poking fun at that sense of uh, malaise or, or uncertainty or real, uh, the conundrum of decisions for presidents. But uh, what is then our charge as followers of Jesus? How do we engage in our, our world? Because, you know, followers, God's followers have been in these kind of battles for a long time. And you think, this is bad. Could you imagine being in exile in Babylon? That you were in Israel, you're in your homeland, and then this foreign nation comes in, and they take you out of the land and make you servants and slaves in a whole other land, hundreds of miles away from your home? Well, when Jeremiah... Jeremiah's day, that's what happened. And what did God tell through Jeremiah? What did He tell His people? In Jeremiah 29, he said, you're to seek the prosperity and the peace of Babylon. Not just sort of hold up and make it through, but seek the peace and prosperity of Babylon. And, and pause, we'll, we'll see. He tells us regularly to, that we're to be in prayer. We're to obey the, the rulers of our land. And, and he lived in the Roman Empire. Those people didn't know how to spell servant leadership, let alone do it. They could care less what your vote is. And yet he's telling God's people, no, you've got to engage. You've got to participate. You're a part of this land. Sort of puts our malaise and malady in its perspective as we were just singing you know, that you now God's the one in control he's the one that, that we follow not our our circumstances so let's uh, so today um, you know would would Jesus vote um, uh, it really is a larger picture of how do we as followers of God knowing that, that we're not citizens ultimately of this country we are citizens of heaven that, that our king, as, as, as we just were singing and as Dennis was describing, our king is Jesus. So what does he say? What is our king? What does our true president tell us we're, we're to do? Let's, uh, let's pray together. Gracious God, speak to us through your word. Speak to us in our own lives. Uh, let us um, be your servants, citizens of your kingdom, being in the world but but not of it. Guide us and lead us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. All right, first, just some some ways that all of us participate in our uh, government, in our secular government. Um, And and one passage we'll look at is 2 Timothy, uh, I'm sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, starting with verse 1. It's on page 962 
in your uh, pew Bible, or eventually it will be on the screen. But 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all who are in high positions, so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and dignity. This is right and is acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So first and foremost, what we're called to do is in our prayers regularly offer up those who are in public office, those who serve um, the, the common good, those politicians and other leaders, whether it's the president you know, nationally or whether it's Supreme Court justices, whether it's state government or local government, whether it's police, firefighters, those that are in authority, we are to pray for them because they're in place They're in place to ensure the peace and prosperity of all people. And that's the place where we want to be able to fully share the love of Christ. that, That serves the purposes of the church as well. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to ask uh, the ushers to go ahead and pass out these prayer cards. Many of you may be familiar with the 40-day prayer covenant. Uh, Jerry Kirks, former pastor here, that now leads that movement. And uh, he put one together. They put one together that would be a prayer for the nation um, for, uh, until our election. You can pray it longer than that. But I'm really encouraging and challenging you to be praying this prayer um, for, until, you know, for the next two months. Right? Until uh, election day. It's a, a daily um, prayer. Um, you guys know there are people sitting over here too. Just want to be sure you know that. Okay, great. All right, so they'll be passing these out and uh, be uh, praying with these. And as these prayer covenants work, maybe even with another person, um, uh, you, you once a week you know, just get together and pray this with one another just as a way of encouraging and supporting each, each other. Nothing, nothing magical about the words, but just a good guidance for us. And a number of churches throughout the city and actually throughout the nation are, are doing that. So first and foremost, we're to be praying for those in leadership, praying for their wisdom, praying for their blessings, whether we voted for them or not. Because in Paul's day, they didn't vote for any of these people. He told them, listen, I know Nero might cut your head off tomorrow, but I want you to be praying for him. So that's what we're to be doing first and foremost. And actually, um, after the service today, we're going to have a little prayer walk down to the corner of Kenneth and Cedar, where a few, a couple of folks were shot close to that um, in, on Sunday. It's, a, uh, it's the corner where the Brooks live. And so they said, you know, maybe it's a good time for us to just take a prayer walk to that place, pray for God's blessing, pray for the, the authorities, pray for police as they solve that, pray um, for God's peace in our um, neighborhood. So we're, we're going to get... I know we got lunch today, so don't worry. Lunch will wait. Um, but for those that are able, some folks have other things going on, um, and you may need to eat and then go. But we're just going to gather and then walk down Cedar and then come back up, and then we'll eat for those that are able um, to do that. 
And don't worry, I won't put anybody on the spot. Nobody will have to sing or dance or pray out loud. If you don't want to, just there is present. Now, if you want to sing, you want to dance, you want to pray out loud, that's, that's great. Um, but you won't uh, have to. But another way for us to put feet, literally, to what God's calling us to do. All right, so we pray. Secondly, um, Romans 13, 1 through 7. We don't just pray, but we obey. Ooh, I know. Yeah, that's a rough word there, huh? But remember the context that Paul's telling them to obey. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those authorities that exist have been instituted by God. Now, can you imagine a first century Christian with uh, you know, Nero being on the throne or you know, just the Roman Empire and saying, well, God has put this authority in place. So therefore, you're subject to it. Obey it. Therefore, now get this, whoever resists authority resists what God has appointed and those who resist will incur judgment. When you resist the authorities that God has placed over us, you're resisting God Himself. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you wish to have no fear of authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive its approval. For it is God's servant for your good. But if you do what is wrong, you should be afraid, for the authority does not bear the sword in vain. It is the servant of God to execute wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be subject not only because of wrath, but also because of conscience. For the same reason, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants, busy with this very thing. Pay to all what is due them, taxes to whom taxes are due, revenue to whom revenue is due, respect to whom respect is due, honor to whom honor is due. Now, I know... Already, you've come up with a bunch of excuses as to why not to obey. And if you're like my son, if you're like my son who had a conversation with yesterday uh, or uh, this week uh, about obeying the law, uh, something about being 18 and 21 and going to college, you know, around those kind of laws um, that we we talked, he was quick to say, but yeah, but what if the authorities are bad? You know, what if they're calling you to do something that's, that's wrong? Um, I'm like, well, that's a good point, and we'll get to that later in the sermon. But that, that's not the issue right here. There are times that we dissent. There are times that we protest, that we exercise civil disobedience. But we'll get to that. But here, the call is to obey. Most of the time, most of the time that I want to disobey the government is because, plain and simple, it's, diso- it's inconvenient for me. You know, it's just, i got to go slower than I want to go. Yeah, that's the law of the land. You know, I want to go slower than I want to go. It's going to make me get there not as quickly as I want to. Or I'm not going to get as money back, much money back as I want to get. Or I'm going to have to give them more money than I want to give them. You know, it's mostly, for me, about inconvenience to me than it has anything to do with justice or righteousness. And Paul's clear here, we are called to obey. Even the rules we think are stupid and that we could do better. 
even those things that are just not worthy of me because it's so bureaucratic. It makes a strong case that these authorities are placed here by God in order to support what is good and correct what is wrong. And yes, the authorities' laws must be in accordance with God's laws. But his call clearly to the Romans, to us today, is to obey the law. So we're called to pray, we're called to obey, and then finally, we are called to vote. We're called to participate. Now, there's no biblical command here. There's no biblical command that says, Thou shalt go to the polling place. That's because in biblical days, you didn't have a vote. There was no such notion even in anybody's mind of representative democracy that we live in today where we as citizens, humanly speaking, earthly speaking, of this nation have responsibilities to vote. A right, a privilege, a responsibility. We are governed by the people for the people. And the principle from Jeremiah's day to Paul's day to our day is go, participate for the peace and prosperity of the land in which you live for all people. I mean, he's always moving us beyond ourselves. I mean, voting can be such an inconvenience, especially voting in a way that's educated. That means I've got to study, I've got to know people, I've got to make hard choices, I've got to take time to go to the polling place or fill out one of those things at home and think about it when I, ahead of time. I mean, just, just what a frustration it is to have to vote and to, to give ourselves to vote today, but I'm just thinking that in, in Jeremiah's day, I don't think they would have seen this as such a problem. I don't think in Paul's day that the right and privilege and responsibility of voting, of participating in who our leaders are in our secular government really would have been seen as such an inconvenience to the church under Roman rule. Now, so I, I know you... It can be, as we've seen, we've talked about and joked about, it's a difficult decision for many. Now, for some, it's not. For some, they're lined up and ready to go. But for many, it, it can be a difficult decision. Pray about it, study it, make the best decision. And you know, you've know, you, you got more than two options, really. And you can say, well, yeah, but those are cop-outs and all the rest. Well, I'm not going to talk about that. It takes too long to, to get into that. But pray about it, work through it, and vote. Seek the peace and prosperity of Babylon. Seek the peace and prosperity of our land. You know, and as an aside here, we, we're in a unique situation as a multicultural church, as a church of people from all different backgrounds and races and economic structure. You know, it's interesting that biblical Christians who are black, majority-wise, vote Democratic, usually. Biblical Christians who are white, high majority, vote Republican. Why is that? Why? You know, we're in a great situation to learn from one another. And, and because, as, as Pastor Dennis said, because our King is Jesus, we can enter into that conversation without fighting about it. Because we know, right, that we're united by Jesus more than we are by any political platform. 
And that's one of the beauties of intentionally saying we want to be a church that's following Jesus of all different kinds of people because we want to venture into those conversations and learn and understand one another. And because we're connected and united in Jesus no matter our differences, we can learn to do that. All right, so it's clear then for everyone that we're to pray we're to obey, and we're to vote. There's no options. There's no way of anyone that's following Jesus uh, can, can get out of that. And not just vote, but participate even. And some of you do. You, know, you, you, you go to city council meetings. You, you go to the school board meetings or f- neighborhood forums and those kind of ways, ways that you participate in the common good. All right, now there are two other ways that we um, can, can participate in this, this process and, but they're not for everybody. These are times where God has called individuals to, to participate in unique ways. And one is to dissent or protest. And the other is to lead within the halls of power. Uh, but, but the first, to dissent. There are times when indeed God has called specific people in specific times to take a stand. You know, to protest because we believe the laws are contradictory to the laws of God. Or that the, the laws are contradictory to the very purpose of God. That they're not leading towards justice and equality for all. And, and there's a time for the church then or individual Christians or group of Christians to stand strong. This is not an easy place to be. It's not an easy place to be. Just, just as a current example, now I'm not in any way promoting this, and I've thought a whole lot about not even bringing it up, just because there are going to be immediate reactions when I say the name Colin Kaepernick. He's the backup quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers, who is choosing to sit down during the national anthem. Or kneel, I think he's doing now. And doing so to protest that... Um, People of color receive unequal treatment from authorities, from particularly uh, police. And he's, and it's not an easy place. I mean, he's in, the, uh, the reason I, I'm, I bring him up is because he's in the news all over the place. And we can talk about, you know, well, is he honoring or is he dishonoring those that fought for the very freedom that he's now exercising? Is he honoring them or dishonoring them? Oh, we can talk about that, like I said. I don't want to get in that debate now. Um, I'd rather talk about what he's protesting about. And that's the other question. Is his protest drawing more attention to himself or more attention to the issue? But, you know, other modern-day examples of protest and dissent, like civil rights... Like the the movement of the church, Dr. King and Dr. Abernathy and Ella Baker and Rosa Parks and uh, and Reverend Shuttlesworth, they caused exactly the same kind of consternation in the 50s and 60s. I mean, their houses were bombed. I mean, it's not an easy place to be, to be in dissent, to be in protest. But there are times that God calls His people to do that. And we look back on the civil rights movement and we see the beauty of their movement, the power of their movement, where they would break unjust laws and then suffer the consequences. They, they would go, they would take a group, and they would sit at the Woolworths in Greensboro, North Carolina, at the counter where the law said they couldn't sit as black people. 
And they would go and they would sit there and people would spit at them and people would hit them and they refused to spit back. They refused to hit back because they followed the ways of Jesus who said, turn the other cheek. They were nonviolent and respectful as they could be of the authorities around them, but they were clear and precise and powerful in their dissent and protest of what they said were unjust laws. And they then worked to change those laws. It wasn't just sort of drop a bomb and run. It was drop a bomb and stay, go to prison, and then work for those changes. That's why I say it's not an easy place to be. Now, the example biblically is of Daniel. You remember the book of Daniel? Daniel was one of those people who I mentioned earlier about Jeremiah and the exile. Daniel was one of Jeremiah's contemporaries, and he was taken out of his home, forcibly removed um, to Babylon, where he was forced to go to their schools, forced to um, uh, live where they wanted him to live. And um, one law by King Darius... Um, was then proposed for Daniel that, that everybody in the land for 30 days, they could pray for no one. They could pray to no one except King Darius. Now, I told you, kings got to do whatever kings wanted to do. I mean, there, there's no checks and balances here. There's no Supreme Court that's going to rule. King Darius, you can't do that. In Babylon, what the king says is what goes And so for 30 days, you could pray to no one except King Darius. Well, Daniel, at that time then, a a, a follower of Yahweh, one who gave himself to God, this is how he responded in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. Although Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he continued to go to his, to his house, which had windows in its upper room, open towards Jerusalem, and to get down on his knees three times a day to pray to his God and praise him, just as he had done previously. The conspirators came and found Daniel praying and seeking mercy before his God. Oh, I didn't tell you that if, if you disobeyed this law, it wasn't that you got 30 days or you got thrown into a lion's den. And the lion's den wasn't a bar. It was a den where lions lived. And you were their meal. So then the conspirators, they approached the king and said concerning the interdict, O king, did you not sign an interdict that anyone who prays to anyone divine or human within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be thrown into a den of lions? And the king answered, basically, yes, I did. So they went to take Daniel and to throw him into the lion's den. Now, Daniel, think about Daniel knew what was going on. He knew what the law was there. He he knew that, that that was the case. And he had other options. I mean, there were other places in his house. I mean, he could have closed the blinds, you know. I mean, he, he could have changed his time around. He could have done it under dark. But no, he went at exactly the same times in the same place so that he would be seen in order to protest, to dissent, to break what he saw as an ungodly law. And then suffer the consequences and trust himself to God the whole way. And... If you know the rest of the story, he does survive the lion's den. So there are times when we, as followers of Jesus, that God calls us. God calls us to dissent 
and to protest, but to do so in a way that is still respectful and honoring and that is working towards change. Um, Dr. King had had a great quote of reminding the church of its place that we are not the servant nor the master of the state. We're the conscience of the state. You know, that there, we need to be the critic, not the tool of the state. Speaking words of truth and love and compassion to power at times. And again, that's a specific call, specific times, and, and some of you have participated in that. Whether it's abortion or the death penalty or racial inequalities, educational inequalities, and on and on the list goes. That we dissent or we protest. Or even if there's unjust laws, that we nonviolently and with respect break them and pay the consequences in order to seek what is just and right and the change necessary for the peace and prosperity of Babylon. Right, the, other, the other one is, is then to lead within the halls of power. Whereas the other is outside. You protest in the symphony. There's others where you're on the inside. That God may be calling some of you or your children or your grandchildren to be the next president of the United States. You got a third party now, the cookie party, so they, they, you can be a part of them. Maybe the next governor of Ohio, the mayor, you know, serving on city council, county sc- or cool school boards. You know, is God calling you to do that? that, that that's a, God has put these authorities in place to do His will. It would make sense that He'd call some of His people to serve in those ways. To do the same thing, I mean, to seek justice to pursue peace and prosperity for all. I'm not sure which is harder, though, to lead or to dissent. I don't know. I don't, I, in, in some ways, the dissent, I mean, the opposition is great, but it's obvious, you know. Um, people are going to disparage you. They're going to bomb you or even kill you in some, in some way. I mean, it's sort of obvious. To lead, to be in that position of authority and, and to be in those places where the, you know, the art of compromise is necessary. You don't know who your friend is and the temptations of power and the temptations of money, the, the temptations of accolades are grand. I'm not, not sure which is more difficult. Now, biblically, you have other examples there. Esther, the whole book of Esther. Esther was queen. She was made queen of the land. And she was able to use her power and influence in order to to fend off a massacre of Israelites. Now, again, it was a hard work on her part. Or, Or Joseph. Joseph eventually became, you know, the vice president, vice pharaoh of Egypt, if you will. And, and he, through God's leading, orchestrated public policy that fended off the effects of a seven-year famine that effectively would have saved millions of lives. But God led him and used his power. That's in Genesis chapter 40 or 41, if you want to read that. But great examples biblically of people who were in positions of influence and power within the system 
and used them to lead without compromise. Now, for, for me, one of my favorite examples in, in, in more modern days is William Wilberforce. He is in the late 1700s, early 1800s in Great Britain. It was part of the parliament there. And, uh, and during his early stages, he felt God's call that God Almighty had set before me two great objectives. The suppression of the slave trade and the reformation of manners. What he meant by that was morality. But it was in 1780 that he was elected into his position of influence. That was in 1784 that he had a huge religious um, experience, a religious renewal that really took him deeper, where that's where he felt God's call uh, to abolish the slave trade and the reformation of manners. I'm going to talk particularly about the uh, abolition uh, movement. It was in 1787 was the first time that he brought a change of law to Great Britain to say we need to abolish the slave trade. And he did that every year with, with a group of the society of, of folks who were opposing uh, the abolition um, or, or who were the affection. It was the Society for the Affection of the Abolition of the Slave Trade. In other words, they were against it. They were trying to stop it. But it took him 20 years of work within the halls of power to finally get that vote approved where the slave trade was made illegal. And then it wasn't until 1833, 46 years later, from his first bill, from his first proposal to stop the the slave trade, 46 years later, in 1883, that Great Britain abolished slavery altogether. 46 years in order in the halls of power to be a faithful, obedient to God's call in a supposedly Christian nation to abolish a system that allowed some human beings to own other human beings. Now, from our modern sensibility, we're like, what? (laughs) Why did it take 46 years to do that? Sometimes that's what it takes to lead in the whole of society for the common good. Three days later, after that vote, Wilberforce died. It was indeed God's calling upon him. So there may be some here, not you, maybe your children, maybe your grandchildren, the God's calling in these unique ways that we participate, whether it's through dissent or whether it's through active leading within the halls of power, just like Joseph or Esther or Daniel, that all, all of us are called to pray, to obey, and to vote. God has put us here in order to be that salt in order to be that light. And as we all know, salt doesn't do any good if it's still in the salt shaker to borrow from Becky Pippert. And light doesn't do any good if it's hidden in a bushel. Those are the ways that as followers of Jesus, even in our confusing, confusing days today, that we participate 
through prayer, through obedience, through voting, and possibly through dissent or even leadership. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your written word. Thank you as it speaks to us of your truth and gives us your wisdom and guidance for our day. We ask that your spirit will indeed continue to anoint us, to lead us, to direct us in the things that you have commanded us to do and in the things you may be calling us to do as participants in this great nation, in this grand land, to pursue, indeed, justice and freedom and equality for all. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.